Honestly, Bilal is a must-listen for current and aspiring ophthalmologists alike. Hearing the journeys of ophthalmologists at different stages of their careers has been both informative and inspiring. In sharing people's stories, this platform has further connected the ophthalmology community in a time where face-to-face connection is hard to come by. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Honestly Bilal. My name is Ali Sayed and I will be hosting today's episode with Dr. Danny Moore. Dr. Moore is the Ophthalmology Residency Program Director at the University of Kentucky, where he is an Associate Professor and Glaucoma Specialist. Dr. Moore has actually been on this podcast before, so if you want to hear more about his story, check out our last podcast with him. In today's episode, I wanted to take some time to focus on residency programs in general and also highlight some of the wonderful things that are going on at UK. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Moore. Oh, thank you for having. So, Dr. Moore, this is our first time having a conversation, me and you, but I've heard a lot of your thoughts already through the department's website. For those of you listening who may not know, Dr. Moore actually has a set of posts online that really give a unique insight into his role as a program director. Um, And if you want to check those out, definitely head to the UK Ophthalmology website. And so these online posts give a really unique insight to readers, and this style of communication really isn't common across the broader residency program community. What first got you into publishing your thoughts online on UK's website? Uh, So I think think what probably first started it was some conversations with our residents. Uh, One thing I've done in the past is to send some periodic emails and updates about things that I find interesting in the literature and, and I editorialize a little bit uh, and send it to our residents and various faculty that may have interest. And, and it sometimes generates discussions uh, uh, via email. Uh, and one resident said, you know, you should put this on the website at some point, or at least put some things on the website that si- uh, simulate our interests or things that may be important or, or, or just random musings as I kind of called them. Uh, and so I started doing that because of the residents and, and I don't know, is, but th- a little bit cathartic for me just to share some things and frustrations I have as a program director. And then also to, to try to get myself a bit in the, the shoes of folks going through the application process too, um, whether they have uh, different issues that they're facing because of their background or things that are happening in the broader community that um, are worth highlighting and, and, and way of also holding me and, and our program accountable for things that we think may be important. And, you know, one of the things I've learned actually by, putting information out into the world, whether it's research and online posts or the podcast we're doing right now, there's always sort of a trade-off, you know, as amazing as it is to disseminate your discoveries and your perspective. As soon as you hit the submit button online, you also open yourself up to criticism. So I applaud you for taking that step to put you and your department out there. And it has its own difficulty because if someone has a problem with what you write, it's not as easy to address it as it is when you're just having an everyday in-person conversation. Um, And within your post, you take great care to acknowledge that we have a lot more to learn in a lot of these topics uh, that you discuss. And so I I really applaud you for for taking that extra step to to put your thoughts out there. Oh, thanks. And, and, you know, it it clearly comes from a position of privilege in many different senses um, when I'm one saying it, you know, obviously because of my demographic character and background, but also, as the program director, you know, I, I would think if anyone is reading it um, at any point, it's probably an applicant more than anyone. And, you know, there's there's a power dynamic there where I I, I know and I worry that people can't share criticisms, um, important criticisms, just because of fear for it impacting their you know, their application and, and their review of our program. So 
if anyone out there is listening and has concerns, um, please, please, please share with me, especially after the match, um, because this is an opportunity for me to learn and to rectify issues and, and to grow as, as we're trying to make a better program. And for our, less, for our listeners, you have a post online uh, regarding some of your, your the efforts your department has taken in terms of DEI recruitment. Um, are there any takeaways you want to highlight for listeners who may be involved in a similar, similar role in the future? Yeah, I, I, I don't think I could emphasize enough what I was just saying about my position. Um, you know, I, I should be the first to listen and last to speak on these kind of topics. And it's obviously and unfortunately the other way around. Um, but, but you know, as the program director, it, it is hopefully important to try to be aware and to, to take um, important measures to um, making up for, for the way the world is now, or at least try to improve upon it. Um, efforts that we've taken over the past few years, uh, we're very conscientious uh, in our application review process um, that we try to hit certain metrics as far as it pertains to DEI so that you know, we, we can't necessarily control the match outcome, but we can control who we invite for interviews. Um, that, that's entirely within our hands. And so we try to make sure we hit our marks each year with who we invite for interviews that we're uh, recruiting um, interview candidates that are above not only the, the the rate in the medical fields, but at least are near or on par with um, the rate in our local community for um, uh, things such as gender and um, race and ethnicity. Um, so th th that's one small step. And another thing that we've been trying to do, um, and, and like I, I'm sure like all programs, we're trying to increase our awareness and uh, understanding our implicit biases and continually educating ourselves about all these issues. Um, but one other thing we've, we've been trying to do and, and taking a step back, uh, you know, in the recruitment process itself is, is realizing where uh, our pipeline is located and, and what it looks like. And, and, you know, there aren't as many underrepresented um, applicants in ophthalmology. And then in our local community at our, our college of medicine level, um, the number particularly of, of, of black men that are applying to and getting into our medical school is, is, is appalling. Um, and, and so recognizing that it needs to start further back in the process. Um, and there's only so much that we can do at the program level, particularly in the immediate future. But one thing we've been trying to do is to recognize that uh, a good number of the people who match into our program are, are, are those that do rotations with us. You know, doing an away rotation of program is a really good insight into that program. And our away rotators um, weren't really things, people that, that we had much uh, um, say over or concern about. It's, if someone's interested in coming here, you just come here. Um, and, and so that means that, that, that in one year we had, I think, over 90% of our rotators were, were um, white men. And so that, that's not going to, to help any of those standards. So we, we've taken a much more conscientious approach to how we um, screen and, and invite and try to reach out to and advertise for our away rotations. And then uh, another thing that that's really kind of um, hit home for me uh, in the past couple of years is the not not just trying to recruit people, but to create a community and a sense where they feel welcome and supported throughout residency. I mean, I, I don't want just someone to come to our program because they, they check a box. I want someone to come to our program because they want to be in our program and because we can support them and they can feel welcome here. And so that involves, unfortunately, a, a lot more than what you're capable of, of determining during a quick interview, especially virtually. And so doing an away rotation at our program, I think, really provides an applicant an opportunity to see our program and, and get a better sense for whether be someplace where they can learn for four years. So we've started a, a scholarship program for underrepresented minorities in medicine to help offset some of the costs for an away rotation. So if there's someone who's interested in applying to our, our uh, visiting student program, uh, they'll have an opportunity to have a scholarship to help with that um, if they, they meet self-identified criteria. 
And then, and then lastly, this is not a problem that will ever be solved or something we can ever take our focus off of. Um, and it's a continual learning opportunity. It's it's something that I, I, I need to, can, as I stated at the beginning, really listen more and talk less. Mm-hmm. You bring up a, a really valuable point that I, I sort of had a little bit of experience throughout when I was working with our accreditation team at our medical school uh, with terms in terms of DEI, it's it's sort of a two-way system, you know, not only do you have to, you know, take into consideration recruiting, uh, you know, a diverse set of students, but you also have to take into consideration that as much as you do to recruit them or even rank them high on your match list or whatever steps you take, you also have to attract them to want to come to your to your place. Because if they choose not to accept your their medical school acceptance there, or they choose not to rank your program highly, then at the end of the day, you're not going to get the the diversity that you may be seeking. And so it's important to to keep that in mind. And I, I really like how you emphasize that you guys try to foster a supportive environment that's also going to attract uh, people from a, a variety of backgrounds to to want to do their training there. Yeah. And, and one last thing I probably should mention is, you know, we, we focus very particularly on certain demographics, um, racial, gender, ethnic. I, I think I, I, you know, I'll, I'll mention that several times that those are ones that we really try to key in on. Um, but, but we've also expanded our, um, our, our evaluation process for applications to, to try to, to increase the notion of what diversity encompasses. Um, and, you know, one of the phrases that's oftentimes used now is road traveled. And, and so we try to take that into consideration with our applicants as well. You know, the, the diversities that people face in their lives um, to get to this point, which may make them more unique, um, are things that we really try to look at as well. Uh, so it, it, it's it's focusing on very important key demographic issues um, that, that need to be addressed and reconciled, um, but then also keeping in mind that there's others as well. Mm-hmm. Could you tell me a little bit more about the UK Go residency track? Yeah, so this is a really heartwarming thing, um, particularly this year. Uh, you know, so we, we have a, a, a residency track within our program where it's something that uh, you you designate after you've matched. Actually, it's during your intern year that we talk through it and see if it's something that's you, you'd be interested in. So it's not part of the match process. It's not something we recruit for. Um, but it, it's it's a global ophthalmology track where our residents can participate in very uh, selective opportunities and, and mentoring throughout residency if they have an interest in, in community and global ophthalmology. And the reason I say it's so heartwarming is because um, I think all three current members of our global ophthalmology track went to an international global ophthalmology meeting in Utah about a month ago. And we're really starting to see that this is not a unique thing, that there's other programs that are starting their own global ophthalmology tracks. So I think we might have been the first, um, but it, it, that's not what matters. It matters the direction it's heading. And I think you're seeing at least four or five places, if not more, that are starting something similar. So I, I believe that's going to be something on the interview trail you hear more about from different places. Um, but but our track is um, something that is done during the, the residency period, so PGY 2 through 4. Um, and it is under the, the mentorship, particularly of, of three of our faculty, Dr. Anna Bastos, Eric Higgins, and Seema Kapoor, who all have international experience, particularly Dr. Anna Bastos, who's the one that heads it up. Um, she's just a phenomenal person. Um, she, I mean, just limitedly, she speaks five different languages fluently. Uh, she's currently the co-residency program director uh, in Haiti at Port-au-Prince at the only ophthalmology residency program on the island. Um, and... Off the bat, um, before getting into any of the details, you know, one of the things that she really tries to emphasize is that 
Um, this global ophthalmology tract and just her general philosophy is not necessarily or certainly not primarily about obtaining experience, um, getting surgical numbers, um, learning, you know, from a different community, how to do things or making up for limitations in your own education. Um, it, it's very much about a, a mutual uh, relationship and partnership um, and infrastructure building uh, in communities, whether that be local or international. Um, so it's, it's less about going and doing, it's more about partnering with. Um, and so along that those lines, you have an opportunity throughout your residency to find places or a specific place where that might be uh, uh, something you're interested in and, and develop that, uh, culminating in your senior year in a month-long rotation at that location. Um, and so there's support for that. There's also a curriculum and, and didactics and journal clubs. Um, all residents are able to and encouraged to participate in these activities. The, the difference with the Global Ophthalmology Tract is that that is one that is sponsored and supported for the travel time. Um, and so uh, if, if you want to do international trips during um, residency, we have opportunity for that. And we actually have some space in your curriculum for it. But if you're not part of the, the op Global Ophthalmology Tract, you may need to find sponsorship and funding yourself, which we, we try to help with as much as possible. Um, the other thing I should say is that Part of the global ophthalmology division in our our um, in our department, and then the global ophthalmology track both is is a shared opportunity um, within both local communities and international. So there's there's synergy there. So half of the efforts are spent in the local what we call the Commonwealth, the state of Kentucky, mm -hmm. and then half of the outreach efforts are spent uh, elsewhere. And so it, it's also important to recognize that community needs to be improved um, here. Uh, and, and there's a lot of outreach uh, and intentional effort done with that too. Yeah, throughout the the open houses, I've been hearing hearing more and more about global ophthalmology opportunities. So it's it's really cool to hear that you guys were a little bit the ones who are sort of behind the trend. And so one of the things I also wanted to mention was one of the common criticisms people have when discussing global health or mission trips or anything along those lines is, you know, when you bring a whole lot of people, resources, and an equipment to an area that may be a little bit more resource deprived um, and perform medical care there, how is that going to be maintained once you leave? And so I do think it's great that UK's program focuses really on collaboration and partnership and working with existing care systems uh, in the area so that the partnership between institutions really has a long lasting impact extending beyond just the, the trips themselves. Yeah. And you make a really good point. And, and I'm not sure how I, I, I'm so encouraged by this generation and the things that you all are already aware of and, and advocating for. So I, I may be the only one saying this, but I certainly wasn't um, naively uh, aware of a lot of those issues and a lot of the harm that can be done by going into a different community. You know, th th there, there's a lot of potential good in, in providing care for someone of a, of a different um, area than yourself. But if you go and provide care and you don't teach, if you don't leave behind um, the resources, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that could go wrong and actually make things worse. Um, and so good intentions can have some damaging effects. Mm -hmm. One of the, the things I noticed about uh, your program as a whole, when whether it was speaking to residents at the, the open house or even speaking with you now, is that everyone sort of seems to be on the, the same page. Your residents really emphasize that there's a strong focus on resident education and supporting underserved populations, and they really highlighted it as a strength in your program. So in, in broad strokes, how did you sort of, uh, how did you and the rest of your department build a program where the faculty and the trainees sort of share the same perspectives? 
Uh, we, we bribe them very well. Um, no, I, and, and I, you know, with, with any of these things, it's, it's always with rose colored glasses or you're, you're putting on a, a bit of a front. Um, you know, I, I think we have wonderful relationship with our residents. They are certainly the prize of our department um, from our chair all the way down to all of our staff. And so that, that is absolutely true, but, but certainly it, it's not as perfect as it seems. And so that's, that's why I really want to make sure if you interact with our residents, they feel free to, to share those criticisms if, if there are any, and I'm sure there are. Um, but I, I do think we, we, and I'm not, this probably is not unique, but I, I am very proud of the culture we have here um, with our department where there, there is a lot of collegiality and not everyone is necessarily hanging out together on the weekends, but we certainly do that on times. Um, and just a few weeks ago, our, our chair had a, a party at his house and it was a nice little event that everyone got to go to. And so th there's, I think, a, that sense of community that's built within the department certainly helps lend itself to people being on the same page. Um and there's just a lot of um, interaction in the department between faculty and residents. We do have fellows, um, but but by and large, the residents spend um, time one on one with their faculty members. You know, we we travel to satellite or community clinics not infrequently, uh, and the residents will go with the faculty, and and sometimes they'll drive on their own, but sometimes you're driving with them, and you're spending a whole day with them, and so you get to know each other quite well. Um, so the, the the sense of community within the department, I think, is something that is um, a highlight. Um, and it lends itself to those kind of things. For the final question, I wanted to ask what your favorite part about living in Lexington is. And do you have a pitch for those listening who may not be familiar with the area? Yeah, I, you know, the, it, it's very centrally located, I guess, is one thing that that people may not recognize. So Academy is in Chicago this weekend and, you know, it's a half an hour flight, but it's only a four to five hour drive as well. Um, so you can get to about five or six of the, the, the 15 largest metropolitan areas within five hours or less. You're within 10 hour driving distance of, of pretty much every part of the eastern seaboard that that's uh, with, with, you know, like Maine and, and the, the tip of Florida being exceptions. Um, so it, it's kind of centrally located as far as travel is concerned, and our airport is is easily accessible, although it's not a major hub. So you sometimes have to do connecting flights out of Atlanta or Detroit or something like that. Um, so it, it's accessible. It's a really pretty area. Uh, so it's a nice mix of a college town, the University of Kentucky, but a lot of independent industry and business as well. People talk about the the horse industry and bourbon, and that, that does play a role. But it's not just a college town. Um, so it has a, a mix of a lot of different um, life and, and culture because of that. Um, and then for me, I, I like outdoors. Um, and so I like to bike. And so it's, it's a really nice rolling hill, can get in the countryside, can see horse farms, can see um, forested areas. You can go up and down hills and mountains, and it's really neat to get out to the parts that are, are, are a little more rural, um, that, but outside of the city. Um, I also have a family and, and it's very friend, family friendly for, we have a, a child with celiac disease. And so it's actually the dietary culture is, is, is nice with the restaurants. Um, the nightlife for, for residents that uh, are, are single or don't have kids yet is also quite reasonable, especially for the size of the city. Um, and again, being a college town lends itself to a lot of that. So it, it's a very good mix. It's, it's not going to be the type of city if you're looking for one of the, the largest three or four metropolitan areas um, in the country, um, but it's not going to be a rural city uh, as well. So you get a, a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the Midwest is definitely underrated in that area. And I guess Kentucky, I don't know if it qualifies quite as Midwest, but um, I'm from Cincinnati. And so I've driven to and from Kentucky a lot growing up. And I think it, the central location is really a great part about it. And I think a lot of people who I've met in medical school or residents I've met during rotations who have moved from other areas have really 
appreciated sort of the beauty of living in a place where you have so much access to to different cities in the Midwest and you get a lot of the benefits of a metropolitan area without it being as, say, as massive as as one of the places like New York or Chicago. And so definitely some good things about the, the cities in the Midwest. Before we, we wrap up, do you have any final uh, words for us, Dr. Moore? Gosh, um, no, I mean, other than, you know, if, if folks are listening in right now, it's it's right at the cusp of interview season. And I know this is an incredibly stressful time. Um, I, I just hope that that there can be some positivity with it, too. And, and the, the fact that, you know, right now your future is so uncertain, you could end up anywhere across the country right now. And there's some excitement to that. I know a lot of angst, but uh, hopefully I, I, I think you can find that the programs that you're looking at are, are all wonderful in their own right. There's no bad program in ophthalmology. They're, they're all good. It's just what is the right fit for you? That's a great note to end on. Thank you for everyone for tuning into this episode of Honestly Bilal. You can check out the rest of our podcast episodes and blog posts on our website, honestlybilal.com. You can learn about the University of Kentucky and their wonderful ophthalmology program through their department's website. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Moore. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Honestly Bilal. You can find all previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere where podcasts are listened to. Really want to thank everybody who's listening to all of our episodes or is just discovering our show now. Going forward, all of our episodes are going to be audio only, and we're continuing to expand the variety and also the topics of which we are kind of addressing on this show. We really want our show to reflect honesty and just really the authentic journey of everybody in the ophthalmology community and how we can bring everybody together. So we hope you enjoy our content. You can find more of it on honestlybilal.com where we have guest blog articles and really an opportunity for just synthesize all the stuff that we're bringing for you all. So follow us on social media. Honestly Bilal is the username for me on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, and the other members of our team, you can find them pretty much where you can find me. So thanks for joining and we'll talk to you guys next time.